You ever wake up and you just know it's going to be a great day? I mean, you're just so excited because you've been dreaming about this day. You've been looking forward to it for a while. And then something happens and it doesn't turn out quite as great as you imagined. Maybe you're getting geared up for some kind of road trip. You can't wait to get on the road and get to wherever it is you're going. And you pack your bags, you load up, and then you just find yourself in one big monumental traffic jam. Or maybe you get there and it's just a downpour of rain and you can't do anything. Maybe it's a job interview that you've been looking forward to and it's this job you've dreamed about. You're prepared, you're ready, you can't wait, you know it's going to go well. And then something unexpected happens and it just doesn't go well. You know, we've all been there, haven't we? We can all think of those days where we think it's going to be a great day. We know it's going to be great. And then something happens doesn't turn out quite as great as we thought it would. You know, Moses experienced that. You remember where we left off last week. Moses, after 40 years of toiling around in the wilderness of Midian, God calls him to go back to Egypt to deliver his people out of Egyptian slavery. And so Moses returns and he reunites with his older brother Aaron. Somehow, even being raised in the Egyptian palace, Moses knew who his real family was, and he sees his older brother Aaron, and they embrace. And Moses tells Aaron, God told me to come here and to deliver the Israelites out of slavery. And here, look at these miraculous signs, Aaron. Look, look, this is God's favor on me. He's going to make it happen. And you're going to be the spokesperson for all this. Oh, you can imagine the excitement that Moses was feeling. He knew this was going to be a good day. And then Moses and Aaron, they go and they tell all the Israelite elders. And news would spread from slave hut to slave hut to slave hut. Moses is here. He's coming. God has heard our cries. He's going to deliver us out of Egyptian slavery. Because remember, for the past 400 years... The Israelites had been under this Egyptian oppression for the past 400 years. They've heard nothing but how great the Egyptian gods are. Perhaps their faith was waning. Perhaps they were beginning to question, is our God really that great after all? And then Moses shows up and he tells them of the great I am, Yahweh, how he's heard their cries and he's come to do something about it. That yes, indeed, God is with you, that your God is great. And their response to all this is worship. I mean, there's a spirit-born revival that just breaks out right then and there. Oh, their faith must have soared to new heights that they hadn't experienced for a while. Moses is coming off the crest of this incredible conference with such confidence, and he's, he knows that God is going to do great things. Oh, it's a great day, and Moses knows the best is yet to come. Well, Let's see what happens. Exodus chapter 5, we'll check out all 23 verses. It reads, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I did not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. 
And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest for their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get straw for yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was, there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had sent over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task in making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants. Yet they say to us, make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten. But the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle, you are idle. This is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given to you, but you must deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble, when they said, you shall by no means reduce the number of bricks, your daily task each day. Then they met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge you because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hands to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, oh, Lord. Why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. You can imagine Moses and Aaron coming off of this great revival experience. And they march straight up to Pharaoh. I mean, this is that long-awaited confrontation that really the last few chapters in the book of Exodus has been building up to when Moses and Pharaoh are going to meet together and this confrontation is going to take place. And with everything that's just happened, oh, Moses, he's marching in there boldly. He knows this is a great day. Things are going to turn out great. God is with him. God had done so much to restore Moses' hope, to restore his confidence, to help him hope again. But Pharaoh, he was not just going to sit idly by and allow a couple of Hebrews to come in and issue some ultimatums to him. I mean, Pharaoh's response when Moses and Aaron say, hey, let, let the people go so they can worship. Oh, it just drips with sarcasm. Oh, who, who is the Lord any, anyway that I should obey his voice? I don't even know this God you're talking about. And besides, I am not letting the Israelites go. It was as if Pharaoh was saying, I am the Lord of Egypt. I'm the Lord of Egypt and the people are going to serve me the way they always have. And when he issues that response, I mean, it just reduces Moses and Aaron to groveling. I mean, it's amazing how fast boldness can flee, isn't it? 
when, when you're just challenged, I mean, you get shot down. Boldness can run away real fast. And so they, they beg Pharaoh. They say, Pharaoh, please, you, you got to let the people go and worship God. Otherwise, God might get angry with us. He might send some kind of disease on us. He might bring out the sword against us. Please, Pharaoh, come on. You got to let us go. You got to let us worship. But in this interaction, Pharaoh reveals that he has no intention of letting them go. And the reason why is, hey, this is his labor force. He says, Mom, these people are going to work. And so he tells them, you gotta, you, what are you doing here anyway? You're just trying to keep the people away from their, their work. They've got jobs to do. You want them to rest. See, that's the thing, isn't it? God comes to give us rest. But evil taskmasters, they always preach work, 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 work. And just to make sure Moses and Aaron and all the Israelites know who is Lord, Pharaoh says, oh, it's going to be that much harder for them. I'm going to demoralize Israel and I'm going to discredit Moses. And so he says, let's make it harder. You take the straw away from them as they're building their bricks so that it's really difficult and that no one's going to believe Moses' lying words ever again. And so Pharaoh's strategy is to have the taskmasters take away the straw from the Israelites as they're making bricks. Now, I'm no brickologist, but I understand, as I understand it, that the straw, it's in the bricks to help the water just kind of seep out slowly from the center. Otherwise, if you don't have the straw in there as as you're making these sun-dried bricks, the bricks are much more susceptible to just kind of crumbling and breaking apart, and you end up with a whole bunch of broken bricks, and then you have to make more and more bricks. Without the straw, you have about double the amount of broken bricks as you would have with straw. And so when Pharaoh stopped giving the supply of straw, now the Israelites have to go out and they have to find the straw for themselves. And when they have to find it for themselves, well, they're just finding whatever stubble they can. It's substandard straw, and now they're making substandard bricks which is going to cause a lot more bricks to be broken and then with this all happening well they can't even meet the quota i mean it's double the work on both ends now they have to find the straw now they have to make more bricks because the bricks they have they are making are breaking i mean it's just so much more work and they can't possibly do the task that's being asked of them it's an impossible task And so what do the Egyptian taskmasters do? They beat them. And so the Israelites are now suffering under this oppression even more than before. And so the Israelite foremen, they gather together and they go to Pharaoh and they cry out to Pharaoh. And you hear this over and over and over again. Did you catch what they say to Pharaoh? We're your servants, Pharaoh. Pharaoh, we're your servants. We're your servants, Pharaoh. I mean, this is significant. Because, yeah, it's civic protocol to refer to yourself as a servant in front of this great king of Egypt. But the fact that they do it over and over and over again, it just kind of reinforces this idea that Israel is conflicted. Who do we we follow here? Who who do we trust here? You can imagine the tension, can't you? I mean, this is a difficult, almost impossible situation. On the one hand, there's Moses, and he's come back, and he's shown these miracles, and he's saying God's going to lead us out of here, and he's speaking on behalf of God, the God that you believe in, and you want to trust Moses. But then on the other hand, there's Pharaoh, and he's calling the shots, and he's making life miserable, and you know you're getting beaten because of him, 
And if you can get him on your side, well, then maybe things would be better. And you know what? Sometimes when we find ourselves in really difficult circumstances, <laughs> it's easier to let the one who controls even the evil circumstance become Lord rather than God. And that's what's happening here. I mean, I mean we know what this is. We, we know what's happening. But instead of turning to God and trusting in God, what did the, what did the Israelites do? They turn to Pharaoh and they trust, hey, maybe Pharaoh will lighten up if we just make our plea, if we just re remind him over and over again, we really are your servants, Pharaoh. We're here to serve you, Pharaoh. You know why that happens? You know, you know why in the moments of life when things are hard that we even can go to that which is evil and plea with that rather than God? It's because we get up in the morning we eat breakfast, we get ready for the day. We don't really think about Jesus a whole lot. We just go through the motions because we know what to do. We go to our job, we go to school, we do what it is we do. We don't really think about God. We know what we're doing. We can do this. We go home, we talk to the family, eat dinner, maybe watch the game, hang out a little bit. We don't really think about, God, we just go through the motion. We do what it is we do. We go to bed that night, we don't really think about God. We just do what it is that we do. And then the storm hits. Then, then the difficult situation comes. And what happens is, well, we've pushed Jesus way over there because we've just done it all, all by ourselves, And we end up with a Jesus who's about that big, who fits in this God-shaped hole in our heart. Rather than a Jesus who is all-powerful, sovereign over everything, even the pharaohs of our life. But when we end up with a Jesus that big, you know who else looks really, really big? Pharaoh. Because you stand so close to the circumstances and to the struggles of your life, that your present circumstances, your struggles, they seem enormous. And God's over there looking so small because you really hadn't thought about him in the everyday moments of life. And so in that situation, what happens? Fear wins. You cave. You, you, you press into the evil and try to, try to negotiate with it rather than God. See, God wants our attention. He wants all of our attention. He wants our loyalty. He wants our trust in hard times. But in order to trust him and to give him that loyalty in the hard times, well, you got to trust him in the everyday times. You got to trust him just in the mundane, routine, everyday experiences of life. See, that's the problem with the Hebrews. They cave. They've just been doing what they do. Hey, we, we go, we make bricks. This is what we do. We don't really think about God in the process. We just do what we do. And now, huh, well, things are getting harder. Pharaoh, we're your servants. <laughs> Pharaoh, we serve you. Remember that. We're your servants, Pharaoh. And, you know, they make their request. They, they make it as politely, with all dignity that they possibly can. And Pharaoh, he doesn't listen to any of it. And the request is simply, hey, this system is not really fair. You know, the, what, what you're asking us to do is not really fair. We, we can't possibly meet the quota anymore if we're not given straw. And then because we can't make, meet the quota, we're getting beaten. This isn't really fair, Pharaoh, but we're your servants. Can you please do something about it? The problem is, of course, 
Pharaoh designed the system that way on purpose. He designed it to be unfair, precisely so that the people would reject the leadership of Moses, so that they would reject the leadership of Aaron. He, he designed this unfair system precisely so that the people would doubt who God is and that they would come to him and that they would cry to him and that they would plea to him. And that's just what happens. But did you notice that as the Hebrew children come and as they, they cry out to Pharaoh, Pharaoh doesn't hear their cry. He, he doesn't respond to their cries. He does not answer them. He does not aid them. In fact, he just demeans them more, doesn't he? He, he says, you're just lazy. The only reason why you want to go worship anyway is so you can get out of work. You're just a lazy, good-for-nothing people. Why don't you just get back to work? This is what you got to do. See, false gods are like that. They're, they're unforgiving taskmasters. They have this certain appeal at first where you think, oh, that looks good. But then you get in and you realize that there's nothing good about this. They do not hear our cry. They do not answer us. They do not respond in the least. And it doesn't matter what God you serve. If it's an unforgiving taskmaster like Pharaoh or if it's the God of pleasure, fame, fortune, power, whatever it is, at some point that God will extract a heavy toll on your life. The, the Hebrews, they're learning that lesson right now. They're experiencing that toll right now. And after Pharaoh hears their cries, he says something very interesting, doesn't he? He says, go work. It could also be translated, go serve. Keep that in mind because he is saying essentially, you serve me. Yeah, you're right when you say that you're my servants. You really are. You serve me. And this is highlighting the main issue in the whole book of Exodus. Who will the Hebrews serve? Will they serve Pharaoh? Will they serve themselves? Or will they serve God? You remember the instruction that God gave Moses back in chapter 4? He said, Moses, you go, you say to Pharaoh, let my people go so that they can go and serve me on the mountain. And then here in chapter 5, what's happening? Pharaoh says, no, 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 these people, they serve me. And then in chapter 8, God's going to say the same thing. Let my people go so that my people can come serve me. You see, the struggle that's happening in Exodus is a struggle of lordship. Who are the Hebrews going to serve? Are they going to serve Pharaoh? Are they going to serve themselves? Or are they going to serve God? And you know what? That is the struggle throughout all of Israelite history. I mean, you go through and you look over the course of Israel's history. As they face enemies, oftentimes they're, they're going to try to negotiate with other nations and serve these other nations. They're going to look to themselves rather than looking to God. But you know what? It's not just Israelite history, is it? It's all human history. That so many times we look to ourselves, we look to our government, we look to others rather than looking to God. And here's the thing, where you look, that reveals who your God is. Where, where you look, where you give your attention, where you give your loyalty, where you give your trust, that reveals who your God is. And so there's that famous line, you may serve the devil or you may serve God, but everybody's got to serve somebody. Exodus is about calling God's people to serve him, the one true God. Not to serve Pharaoh, not to serve themselves, but just to serve 
him. And in this hard moment, I mean, you know how difficult it is. I mean, Pharaoh is the one who's making all this happen. It's evil. And you know that any other master other than God eventually leads to fear. And in that fear, sometimes rather than standing up boldly saying, no, 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 I'm simply going to trust God. I'm going to turn to him. I'm going to look to him. No, you, you look right to the one who's inflicting the fear, hoping you can change their mind. You can plea with them. You know, the thing about other gods is it might look good at the beginning. Pharaoh might, it seemed so good at the beginning, didn't it? When the Israelites first got to Egypt and they served the Egyptians, they were part of Egyptian society. Oh, it seemed so good at first. But that's how all false gods are. Whether it's pleasure and and, and the, the excitement of the moment, whether it's fame and you get a little notoriety, whether it's power and you have a little influence, Whatever it is, it looks so alluring in the moment. But then, fear comes right around the corner. Because you've got to hold on to that. You, you, you can't let people know sometimes. There's a secret to be kept. There's power to be maintained. There's rule and authority that has to be followed. God's the only one that when you serve him, it's not just work, 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 work. It's come to me and you'll have my rest. That your main job is just resting in me. It's walking in step with me. It's trusting in my power to live my life through you. The way your life really is meant to be lived. The Israelites reveal their true colors here. Because they go to Pharaoh. And they cry out and they beg. Oh, Pharaoh, we're your servants, Pharaoh. We're your servants, Pharaoh. Please listen to your servants. And they do not properly recognize the authority, the power, and the sovereignty of God. And so in that moment, they're afraid. Fear begins to win. You know, is that something you struggle with at all? Where you ever look around and Jesus just seems more like a last-ditch effort in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your trial? Where, where Jesus seems so small because you wonder, man, my, my problems are so big. These circumstances, this mess going on in my life, it's so hard. And you look over there and, you know, Jesus, I mean, if you could do something, it'd be great. But you kind of doubt. You ever struggle with that? If you do, it's all about taking the next step. It's that next step of faith. And then it's the step after that. And the step after that, it's walking in step with Jesus. That's what Paul would say to the Galatians. You just walk with him in the each and every step that you take. And so maybe that means just kind of grabbing a calendar and just kind of charting out your day and saying, okay, here's what I did today. And it's every little last routine mundane thing. I ate breakfast. I brushed my teeth. I, I, I got ready for the day. And you chart everything out that you do for the day. And then you go back and you look, did I seek God's guidance and, and leading in this? And it almost sounds silly, some of it. Well, this is so like mundane, so routine. So why, why don't you think about that? Because if you will seek God's guidance and leadership in the mundane routine aspects of life well then then when the storm hits when the trouble comes well you know that God's so big because you live so close to him and then who do you look to it's not to Pharaoh Pharaoh please make it better it's God I know you can deliver me from this situation God may your rule and reign be experienced in my life right now after this interaction with Pharaoh all the foremen, they, they, they charge out of there and they meet with Moses and Aaron. 
And Moses and Aaron, they're, they're waiting for them. I mean, you, you see that in the scripture. And can you imagine this scene? I mean, you get the idea that Moses and Aaron are almost like right around the corner. And here comes the Israelite foreman. And they're marching down the hallway. And they turn the corner. And there's Moses and, and Aaron just waiting to hear the response of Pharaoh. And these guys, man, they're livid because they know the oppression that their people are experiencing. They know how hard everything is. And the people that they're blaming... No, it's not Pharaoh. It's Moses and Aaron. And they look at Moses and Aaron and they say, why have you done this? What have you done? May God judge you for what's happening to us. And then put yourself in Moses' shoes just for a moment. I mean, remember, he, he had spent those 40 years in Midian. He knew he was a failure. Then God showed up in that burning bush, called him back to Egypt. And here Moses is trying to do what God's called him to do, try, trying to live in the way that God has commanded him to live. And what does he get? Oh, he gets the pain of rejection all over again. The Hebrew people again saying, we want nothing to do with you. You want to be a leader. We don't want anything to do with you. Oh, the sting of that, how that must have just brought so many painful memories just right back to the surface because he's looking and he's seeing just again, his people are suffering worse because he's there. You know, if you went through that, you'd probably say the exact same thing that Moses said to God. Moses looked to God and just said, why God? Why did you bring me back here? Why? I tried to tell you when you came to the burning bush and you told me this is what was going to happen. I tried to tell you I wasn't the man for this. <laughs> I know I wasn't the man for this, God. I tried to tell you why did you bring me back here? Why? You know the question that I think God probably gets more than any other question? Is that question why? God, God why, why are you doing this? Why are you working this way? Because so often we do not understand the big picture of life. We live so close to our present circumstances that they seem so big. Rather than being whisked away and having a godly perspective where our, our troubles really are light and momentary. And so we ask God why? God, why are you working this way? Why are you letting this happen? Why are you doing this to me? But even in his depressed state, Moses is evidencing something very powerful here, something very good here. And that is Moses looks to God. He's not looking to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, you got to make things better for my people. He's not, he's not looking to anybody else. He's not looking to himself. He's looking to God. He's saying, God, why? What are you going to do here? Teach me, God. He, he's, he's learning that dependence upon God. He is recognizing the invisible hand of the all-powerful God, that he's still at work, that God can do something. And in that painful state, when we turn to God, well, something incredible happens. And that is, our fear gives way to hope. And after all, hope conquers fear. Heavenly Father, we thank you that even in the midst of struggle, in the midst of pain, when the only question we have is why, that you are faithful. And we have this confidence that in the end, you work all things for our good and for your glory. So God, may we be your messengers of hope. We ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.